This episode of Commentary, Trek Stars, is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hi, this is Robert Duncan McNeil, also known as Tom Paris from Star Trek Voyager. You're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to Season 4, Episode 2 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. Um, Luckily, we were able to uh, send Data and and Worf over to the Borg ship and and grab Max and get him back just in time for uh, the second episode of Season 4. So he's back down on Earth with us, recovering drinking some wine with like a bandage on his forehead and, and stuff. I feel like I missed some exposition. You, you did, unless right. you listened to last week's episode. <laughs> All right. um, so, so Max is back, and today we are also joined by Philip of Earl Grey. How's it going, Philip? Going very well. Glad to be here to talk things next generation-y. Yeah, we're glad to have you. And yeah. we, we just had you on a couple weeks ago. When we were doing our, our Mount Rushmore of Star Trek episode. And uh, we have a, a, a Mount Rushmore from someone else. And I figured I could uh, read that and see what you guys think. Um, here is his, his four picks. Who's he? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an unknown figure. We, it will be revealed. All will be revealed soon. This always turns out to be Khan. Yep. <laughs> Yes. Gene Roddenberry, Gene Kuhn, Nick Meyer, and Michael Piller. Nick Meyer, for the record, was the person who I was shocked no one had said. Not Robin Leffler, believe it or not, but regardless. <laughs> um, he continues, it, it pains me not to have Harv Bennett in that list since he found Nick and set him on course amid the 80s landscape. I just couldn't bear to put it in any actors, even Leonard, they already have enough monuments and parks named for them. And the person who came up with that list was Larry Nemechek, who is the subject of today's episode, as well as last week's and next week's and the week after. Next week's episode will be about that list. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we're going to have to add another part. <laughs> the works of Larry Nemechek, part four. We're going we're gonna, to... We're gonna His list. Throw heterogeneity out the window and mm. just be a thing about itself. Yeah. Which is always good. Yeah. Now, Larry is, of course, the writer of Star Trek Voyager episode Prophecy, which we talked about last week with Charlene. And he's also the writer of our our first work of his um, in, the, uh, in the publishing world, at least the book publishing world. And that's Star Trek The Next Generation Companion. So... Um, that's why we have Philip on here, of course, being the resident TNG uh, he's, expert. He's the, he's one of the hosts of the the Trek FM show. I just we like the D. I just drink, like like to drink which a lot I'm going to keep calling it <laughs> until they either change the name or admit that it's a better name than their actual name. 
You can't forget day. the E. You can't forget the E. <laughs> um, no. No, I can. <laughs> Max, not a huge fan of the of the next gen movies. But what can you do? Make them better, I'm guessing. Mm. That's just my first guess. All right. So, for those people who don't know, the Star Trek The Next Generation Companion is essentially um, an episode guide for Star Trek The Next Generation. It originally came out after Season 5, and it had um, plot synopses as well as background info, behind-the-scenes info and and everything on uh, all the episodes for the first five seasons, and it was later um, expanded as the series expanded twice until you know now there is a a final um i won't won't call it definitive version because i don't think that larry would consider it to be a definitive version it's a it's a continuing mission it is it's a continuing mission it is a um it, it is a version which goes from the beginning of the series to the end let's put it that way um i know that's also available on kindle and i think that version might be slightly different We'll have to ask Larry when he's The on. important thing is that the original version didn't have all of the episodes of the show because they didn't all exist yet. Exactly. And then when they all did exist, there was another version. Mm-hmm. And then when there were movies, there was another version. Essentially, I think, for each one. I don't think so. I think there was only three. I think, There's only three? I think mm-hmm. there was one after season five, one after Generations, and then one after Nemesis. Oh, there's one after Generations. That's when the first post, like all episodes one comes in? Right. Yeah. I think okay. So. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. I didn't, get the, I didn't get it until like, I could get all of the episodes. Right. So all I got it somewhere between Generations and, and Nemesis. Okay. All right. Because I don't think I have, mine doesn't have Nemesis. Well, that was going to be my well, that's next. That's fine. Uh, actually, actually, I ripped that one out of mine, so it doesn't have Nemesis either. So that's smart. That's smart braining. <laughs> no, no, but I mean, to to be fair, whether, we don't have to be fair. Whether or not you like Nemesis, which <laughs> I, I personally do like Nemesis, but whether or not you like Nemesis, I was just reading today, you know, Larry's stuff in the book on Nemesis because that to me was some of the most interesting stuff in the book. Because... Oh, there's no question that there could be some really interesting stuff. I mean, you know, uh, the making of Apocalypse Now was a horrifying nightmare. Yeah. And the documentary about it is almost as good as the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's fantastic. But if the movie in question is Nemesis, I'm not going to watch that making of. Really? Maybe more than once. I would. I was going to say, <laughs> I would kill to see the making of Nemesis. A tell-all, Hearts of Darkness style <laughs> two making hours, of Nemesis. Two hours of making Nemesis. Oh, my God. You just oh, see, like, the, you just see a, a, a LeVar Burton like crunched out into the fetal position, yelling at Stuart Bard. Mm-hmm. See, that's Call interesting. Call me by my the, name. I, I, am, I immediately name. went to like Patrick Stewart with like like the, the, the sponge and dripping water down his head, <laughs> saying the like, horror... He's like, I swallowed a bug, but in like his perfect British accent, yes. which I didn't do at all. You saw, that, yeah. that sounded like him doing an American accent, actually. That was pretty good. <laughs> so, the Next Generation Companion. Now, when did you guys first experience this book? When did you first pick it up? What was your first exposure to it? Do you remember? Like, uh, Philip, when, when did you get it? You got it pretty pretty I'm, late in the game? Yeah, I'm trying to remember, honestly. Because um, I sort of have my little, um, you know, I can see my Trek bookshelf over here with all my, my publications. Because a lot of my Trek publications were 
taken like in contemporary when it was on air were taken from friends because I, I didn't really own that much stuff when I was whatever 10 11 um <laughs> so yeah you know um so like the technical manual I you know someone had that and I borrowed theirs and then eventually when I grew older with ways to earn money I bought my own um which is like the same age as that one so with the companion I don't know so I'll, I'll I'm gonna just throw out a guess and be like within the past um, which actually Nemesis is really not per se that old, but I'll say within the past four, four or five years, maybe five or six years, uh, was when I got it. And so, so I never old owed, owned, sorry, any of the older ones. So I don't even know what they look like with the, what the, uh, fifth season or the generations cover even looks like. So I just have my, my latest and greatest, my only problem. If I were, if I were on literary tricks and were judging the book by the cover, my complaint would be <laughs> that Worf is not wearing his sash. So that is kind of an annoying thing. But other than that. That's true. That's true. I believe this is a nemesis picture. On exactly. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, the first um, book was, it had a royal blue cover. The second book had, like, a maroonish, reddish cover. And then the third book has a navy blue cover, despite the fact that Larry says that it's black. There shall be no peace as long as Larry Nemechek insists that his book is black and not dark navy blue, because apparently that's super important these days. I'm just saying. It's navy blue. So so what what about you, Max? Where where was your first uh, copy, uh, or, or when when did you first pick it up? My first one was the red one. The red one. And I have no idea when I picked it up. It was one of the many, many, many books that I would buy at Borders because I, I have a problem. With buying books, I, I buy a lot of things, and I end up reading, like, a good half of them. Yeah, that's the way it works. But, like, when I buy a giant book, like The Next Generation Companion or The Deep Space Nine Companion, uh, like, it ends up sitting on a table for, like, a year before I read anything of it. So do you light and, candles around it each night, or how do you deal with it? Um um, I don't do it every night, only on the Sabbath. Okay. But uh, it's like it, it, it ends up sort of like lingering around while I, you know, like peek in at it here and then, here and there. Like if, if I'm watching an episode of Next Generation out of the blue, I will look in there and go like, huh, that does explain why that guy <laughs> looks stupid in that costume. Because it is ridiculous. It's good to know that they weren't intending for it to look that stupid. Like, that kind of thing I would do. And then eventually I ended up reading the entirety of it. But it wasn't even my copy that I read. It was the copy that Mike had at work. Yeah. Now, for me, I, I, I guess I, I beat all of you um, in the sense <laughs> that I I had it first and I had all three copies. My first copy, I, I feel kind of bad about. Um, there was a guy, let's call him James. I won't use his last name. You killed Kirk. the guy. <laughs> That's no, where this story's going. Not, not James Kirk. Definitely not. And he was a guy who it was weird because at the time, at the time, I, I was I could I could claim innocence because I was young. I was thirteen, and I had seen this book sitting in in, in you know, bo- well, not Borders, but Crown Books. I get it. You were supposed Crown to be in a diamond slot formation, but you, you guys were showing off, and he ended up dying. No, no, no. That's that's not what it was. But, you know, <laughs> like like like. Like I've Phil- got some more references. First duty, yes. Like like Philip was saying, you know, I, I was also young and I did not have money to spend on books like this, even though I probably wanted this book more than any other book. And I was at a garage sale one day at James's house, coincidentally, and he had a bunch of books uh which looked brand new, which I thought was kind of strange. 
didn't put two and two together, you know, with the fact that he worked at a Crown Books in the area, but you know, whatever. And he was charging <laughs> half price for all of these essentially brand new books. That fell so off the as truck. a fourteen-year-old, right? So as a fourteen-year-old with no money, I spent uh, I think it was six dollars and fifty cents to get uh, my first companion, and I loved that thing. Because especially growing up in that era where you didn't have Netflix, you didn't have the DVDs, you had what was airing on WPWR Power 50 at 6 p.m. Mondays through Fridays. Don't say the name. It's true, though. And VHS tapes, they were still around, right? Okay, yeah, but I I wasn't, you know, buying the VHS tapes and our blockbuster didn't have that many, so I was completely reliant on the reruns and and, the VHS tapes that I recorded. My first copy of The Next Generation Companion was carved in stone (laughs) on the side of a mountain that I lived under. (laughs) Mine was in frozen carbonite, but that was another thing. (laughs) That's good, too. That's good, too. But, you know, I I loved that book because it was, it was, it, it basically guided me through that series i i could tell what episodes fit into where and what episode was going to be on tomorrow <laughs> and hilarious. it was it was great <laughs> i mean but but it was great and i mean i you, have you didn't time have... in my hands <laughs> people don't you know take that stuff into account anymore but even something as simple as an episode guide was mm-hmm really hard to come by now there's a million places on the internet where you can find it in seconds the funny thing is the the joke with the candles and the and the and the and the, and the prayers like that works for your story it's actually true that's what happened i i had like I a this book. <clears throat> you know this book was is was my next gen bible it was so, everyone's next gen bible so right? honestly at some point in your life you you need to be like having that on your person when you get shot and it stops the bullet Ooh, i guess so it's teddy rose that has to happen stuff, i yeah. i mean you know this this is actually i mean you, you guys kid about this but it's it's true like the those com- i mean like all of them like the, the companions the chronologies the encyclopedias i mean that is sort of like I'm pretty sure it's encyclopedia okay whatever they are or encyclopedia the, the, browns I believe <laughs> those, those are sort of like you know the the uh, the texts of this mythology in a sense. Sure. I mean, there, there's a reason why at my wedding I used a copy of the Star Trek Encyclopedia for one of my readings. You know, I, no, I under, I understand a lot of it. Mm-hmm. I understand that, like a lot of a lot of that love. Like I do have a kind of emotional connection to like the Next Generation Companion, the Deep Space Nine Companion. I mean, like like. I, when I hear the name Larry, Larry Nemechek, I obviously think of all the other stuff, but the first thing that pops into my mind is like he was kind of the, I guess like Saint Augustine of Next Generation. Like he kind of documented it in a way that nobody else did at mm-hmm. the time. Yeah, and and like the same thing with um, with Terry Erdman mm-hmm. and um, the guy Paul Rudd's disease. Um, he Paul- but the Voyager one. <laughs> Paul what? Paul Rudditis. Okay, all right. <laughs> Paul Rudd's disease. That's how I remember it. Okay. <laughs> it's a mnemonic device. Yeah, I don't actually have much appreciation for that book. It has nothing to do with him. It's just I don't, I don't like think I've ever seen it. I think I've only seen the original series companion, the TNG yeah. companion. I don't think I've seen any. Well, there's no Enterprise companion, right? No, um, there's not, which so, really bothers me. Yeah, As, w- the completest in me. It just, it just. Oh my god! I think the problem there would crawl. would be that you, you you couldn't do that in one book. I mean, basically, that's like that's several different apocalypse nows. Well, actually, the Enterprise Companion exists in the holodeck, 
and we've accessed it during one episode, but I, I, for some reason people don't like to talk about it, so never mind. It's a hidden chapter. And if if you get if you get the next generation companion on so, Kindle, so eventually and you click you on get to that page. Pegasus, then it opens up a new book. Exactly. It expands into a new document. It's yeah. The Enterprise Companion. It's a three terabyte Easter egg. <laughs> oh man, that would be awesome. <laughs> but uh yeah, I mean, the, the, so so you've never seen the other companions, uh, Philip. Well, and, and I, I don't know this. I don't know if this embarrasses myself or just whatever. Um, the Star Trek, the original series companion. I actually yeah. read those episode summaries before I saw seventy five percent of the episodes. So I, I literally read the original series before I saw it. No, I mean that's not really. I mean that that's kind of what happened with the next gen companion in a sense. Like I, I did not care about spoilers back then, and in in terms of Deep Space Nine, that's really what happened because, as we have talked about numerous times, it was damn near impossible to find Deep Space Nine on TV here in Chicago when it was airing. So in that gap between the end of the show and the start of the the DVDs, like you couldn't get it, and and. I wanted to sort of, you know, experience it as a complete story. And the way that I did that was by reading the Deep Space Nine companion cover to cover. You know, I did the same thing. I mean, that's not embarrassing. That's just, you know. I don't think, that, I don't think that's strange at all because that's sort of the normal thing. I mean, like when I was a kid, there were a lot of things, not just Star Trek. Yeah. Like a lot of things that I experienced in book form before anything else. Yeah. And I know that, like, for a big chunk of Doctor Who fans, that's basically the only way <laughs> yeah, you have to. to experience yeah. a lot of the show. Yeah. Well yeah. Not just because like it wasn't airing, but some I, of the I, ones, I'm the, the the ones f- that didn't exist, obviously. But the ones that you, you didn't see. I was I was watching uh the, I'm watching the first Doctor currently, um and I think for some of those I would probably just as soon read them <laughs> because I'm like, really? Six serials for this story? I mean like we can't do this in about ten minutes here. So <laughs> I guess that's the nature of um, serialized television back in the day, right? Mm-hmm. Well, got to get that that Charles Dickensian word count thing going on. Some some of the some of the earlier episodes, BBC was 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 nightmarishly difficult to make TV. Like they, the 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 docudrama that they did last year, the uh, yeah. Adventure in Time and Space. Mm-hmm. Shows just how ridiculously behind the times they were. <laughs> yeah, which a we, lot of their scripts were informed by the technology they could use. Yeah, yeah. Because again, uh, this is not the Doctor Who podcast I know, but I mean, I, I started watching when I did my not rewatch, but watch. Um, I started the Fourth Doctor and went straight through. So, so it definitely is a different mindset to watching the serial. So you got to like slow down your mind. You know, this is going to take yeah. a while. But but the first ones are a little, I guess, even a little more because black and white, at least for me, throws me off. Um, just because I'm like, oh, so it's old. Um, and so, but, so anyway. Okay. So now, what do you guys actually think about the book itself? You know, what what are, what are do you think, I mean, I don't know if, if you're in agreement with me, but I, I, I think that this book is pretty special in terms of, uh, you know, not just Star Trek companions, but TV series companions in general, because the Star Trek companions tend to be actually really good. Um but uh, what, what do you think about that? Do you, do you agree? And what is it that you think makes this book stand out? Well, I'm trying to think. I don't know another TV series companion that I have or 
have looked at, which is probably a lie. I'm sure if I thought about it, I'm sure there is. But I, but I'll just talk about the the TNG companion by itself. Um, I'm sure y'all are much more read about other ones compared to others. I mean, I'll, and you know, I, since we want Larry on our show, let me talk about how terrible it is. No, I'm kidding. Uh, it's it, no, it, it really is great. No, um, because the way I'm doing it now, because I'm actually doing a um. TNG rewatch, which you know, when you do a podcast about a show, it's probably good to watch it again. Um, and so, basically, the way I started was I have two books. Anytime I'm watching a TNG episode, I just do one at a time. Um, like I'll watch one episode per day. That's it. Um, and so I'll, I'll watch the episode, then I'll have two books that I'll instantly look at. One is the Nitpicker's Guide to TNG, and so I'll read for that episode, and then I'll grab. Larry's companion here, and then what I'll do is I won't read the synopsis because obviously I just watched the episode, but I'll sort of read his whatever you want to call it, his commentary, um, kind of bringing alive the episode a little bit more, um, what was going on behind the scenes, behind the writing, um, and and of course I mean I'm sure everyone listening to this knows by now because of, of our our love Larryathon, but you know Larry being there, you know it's not like he just you know is you know he was doing the the, the reporting and all that stuff that that we all know that that Larry did. And so, obviously, it's a little bit more meaningful there to know that he's not just like, well, according to someone else, you know, he's like, well, no, this is this is what I heard at the time. Um, and so, I, I think it does kind of bring it alive. And, and and he is, and I'm trying, I don't have an example off the top of my head, but he is, like, honest. It's not like he just sugarcoats the whole thing, even though, obviously, he loves TNG and loves Trek. But, you know, he does say when things, you know, were some issues behind the scenes. So, I, I do like that. What, what, what about you, Max? Well, I mean, it's, I mean, it's hard to figure out exactly what's the differences between like liking the discussion about the episode and liking the idea of discussing the episodes. Mm-hmm. It's sort of fuzzy, but like I do, I do, I do really like both the Next Generation D Space Nine companions. They're like it's just, uh, just the sense of being there is 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 crucial, and like that's one of the things that's really nice about. Um, um, these are the voyages. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the sense of being there, the sense of like putting you into the time and space of the creation of this thing that I really respond to. Because uh, when you when you spend a few years watching a show and you sort of like get you get very comfortable with the environment and you don't really think about the alternatives that it didn't go down and uh, seeing it, the actual creation of it like from that point in time is really helpful in understanding why they made the choices that they made, because in retrospect, it can get kind of weird. Like, uh, every once in a while, it occurs to me, Ensign Rowe makes no sense. When you think about her role on the show, honestly, it doesn't really make sense that she exists. But knowing the past and the course of that show, it makes sense why they made her and why she had her arc. Mm -hmm. But it's like, you need a book like that in order to contextualize some things. And I really appreciate those, those books for that. Yeah, I mean, for me, maybe it's it's more of a personal reason than than the actual book itself. Uh, but at the time, I was not a movie fan. I was not a TV fan. I was a Star Trek fan, and you know, I I I got the book more than anything to 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 have an episode guide in the sense of like seeing in 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 universe like how these things played out chronologically or whatever. But what I ended up finding was not the synopses, you know, being what grabbed my attention, but the behind the scenes info. And as someone who had never really thought about what went into making a television show, 
this was a, a huge eye opener because it wasn't just talking about the writing or the or the acting or anything else. I mean, it was a comprehensive look at the entire making of the show. Yeah, I. I I agree completely. I can't. Yeah. Even, I don't even read the synopses anymore. <clears throat> no, I, I mean yeah, I, I can't. I like, did it. It's time, just a yeah. waste of time, right? Like exactly. you're wasting page space with the synopsis <laughs> at this point. Yeah, and and I mean that's that stuff behind the scenes and just sort of like I mean in a lot of ways it it kind of showed me you know what the various jobs were on a movie set and and everything and obviously that really captured my interest because my interest in Star Trek turned into an interest in movies and I, you know, went to, you know, freaking film school and became a projectionist and now my entire life is run by movies whether I want it to be or not. So in a sense, Larry. It's all Larry's fault. It's your fault. So is, so he, thanks, like, Larry. is he like your animal spirit guide? Like what What would he be? Like what animal? Yeah. What? Wait, what's the question? Are we saying that Larry is an animal? Because that would mean that your animal spirit guide is Larry Nemechek. Yeah, yeah that's, that's what I'm that's, saying. I think that's yeah. accurate. Okay. I, yeah, I think that's accurate. He's my animal spirit guide. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So when you go on a vision quest... I see Larry. Like, Larry has to take a nap in order to visit you? Well, no, I, I like that. We're like, oh, I have to I have to visit Larry. Oh, wait, no, he's just a guest on my podcast. No, never mind. So I'll, I'll mm-hmm. just keep these drugs away then for the moment. <laughs> uh, for the moment, yeah. Sign in the, in the Tupperware container. You'll not eat my peyote. It's for later. Thank you, Supreme Court. <laughs> So, so yeah, I mean, that's kind of what the book means to me. And uh, I guess that, that in, in a lot of ways is, is also, you know, kind of leads into my next question. And, and, and for me personally, what, how this book has changed pre-internet and post-internet. You know, now that there is an internet. Post, is this post-internet? We're post-internet. <laughs> we don't have an internet anymore. internet post. <laughs> like in those internet days. Yeah. The, the main reason why, you know, at work, and, you know, we've said this before too, but Max and I worked together for, you know, like the better part of a decade, and we had a bookshelf, and we kept all of the Star Trek companions on that bookshelf. And the main reason was because, we didn't have smartphones, and we needed to have you know easy access to whatever Star Trek information we needed. Because I mean, why do we need to have that access? Because you never know; it might come in handy when you're assembling a movie or something. You well, just never I, know. I do recall at one point I had a conversation. This you were not actually here for this, but I did. I had a conversation. And I was like, "Is the thing in that one episode with the Gamma Quadrant and the?" portal door thing where they go is it the same alien civilization that Picard found in that one episode oh, yeah. and like after like an hour of trying to think of that I was like oh there are books here <laughs> that literally have all of the words Iconian. and I looked it up and I was like Iconian portal yeah alright so apparently Deep Space Nine had a reference to that one random episode it, 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 it was shocking how often those books came in handy. You know? Yes, it was actually, every time it happened, it was like, it's weird that we're doing this again. Yeah. But but now, I mean, well, I mean, in, in total honesty, like if I were a kid now, I probably wouldn't buy the book because the reason why I bought the book was for the episode guide, you know, portion of it. But now it's like I, I read these books, you know, all the time because I was just reading it today. Because all of the information that was in there that I didn't care about is the stuff that makes it really great. I don't know. I think I think that that when you're a kid, that's one thing. But like by the time I was buying my own books, mm-hmm. like going into bookstores with my own money to buy things, mm-hmm. I was not 
interested in synopses. Oh no, no, yeah. of course not. Like, yeah. like when I, I mean, like I have a lot of these companion books, mm-hmm. and like when I got like the X Files companions and such, yeah, like I just skipped the synopses entirely, sure. yeah. and got infuriated with them. And like every time they departed away from the, the the text of the episode and went further away from it, I got more interested. Yeah, sure, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because I know when I'm. And, and this is it's just a matter of preference I know generations or whatever and preference but like I know when, when I'm doing a show for for Earl Grey and we're talking about like oh you know pick your top three from season four or, or pick one for, you know whatever you know I'm sure I could just wiki it or memory alpha it if we can verb that um, but what I'll just do is just flip to the back of the companion here and be like okay alright here's the list of the episodes here's a list of the seasons and just do it that way it's just quicker than than having to do all the squinting on my smartphone to... or doing the laptop you have yeah. to look those things up. You don't just have that in your head right now. <laughs> well, it, there's a lot of Trek. There's a lot of Trek, and then I have to fit some Doctor Who in there, and then there's also who was president in 1958. So you know, yeah, I do. I have to look it up. You, you know, it's it's strange because like <laughs> it was Eisenhower. I, it was Eisenhower. Good job. Good job. I I, I know that that I'm. I'm on the original series show, and I know that I'm on record saying that Deep Space Nine is the best of all the the series. But, um, oh, but <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. But undoubtedly, the series which I know the most about and uh, am, and the most comfortable talking about, honestly, is Next Generation. And I think a big reason for that. Probably the well. There's two reasons. One, because the first time I saw it was in reruns on, when it was airing nightly, so I, I saw it all in a very compressed period of time. But two, because I had the next gen companion, and and I had that to go along with it. And um, yeah, I mean, there's no show ever that has been made that I know more about than Next Generation, and that's in no small part to uh, thanks to Larry. So. Well, and, and I think the beginning of The Companion kind of has, you know, sort of the uh, obligatory, you know, this is how the next generation began. But mm-hmm. but it's not like, and I, the way I say that makes it sound like I'm dismissive, but but not. Because, yeah, you, you know, of course you have to do it. It was a next generation book, blah, 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 this is how it started. But it is good info, which I guess, you know, yeah, you could look it up. But, I mean, you know, it's not as maybe expansive as you can find in some other Trek books. But, I mean, it goes into the, you know, this is who the people were. Here's the memos. These are the concepts. These are the actors. I mean, you even, you even get, like, the um, uh, all, all of the, the TNG actors' uh, um, pictures. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, they're actually, like their headshots. Headshots. Or, thank you. I don't know why I blanked yeah. on that. All their headshots, which is very amusing because this would have been, like, 1985, you know, mm-hmm. headshots. But, but it is pretty good there. So if you're, if you're trying to remember, like, hey, how, what, 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 you know, Leslie Crusher and... And that, uh, you know, Jordy was going to be running the, 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 the school for the kids and stuff like that. You'll, you'll find that all in that beginning there. Which would have been really good, considering his background on Reading Rainbow. Butterfly right? Butterfly in the sky. Because it's actually LeVar Burton teaching the class? I guess so, right? Well, you don't, I don't, don't know. take our word for it. Yeah, just read the book. Considering it's how much you hate... Jordy LaForge, would you would you think he would make a good teacher? Kids like I need to use the bathroom. He's like, no, no, you need to go into the Jeffrey's tube and die because yeah. of radiation. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, do you guys have any final thoughts on either the companion or Larry? Well, 
Max, you can save your final thoughts on Larry for later on. But, but uh, Philip, any final thoughts on the companion and Larry in general? Um, yeah. Well, I mean, for one thing, you know, this is one of those cool things of, of you know, I've had this on my bookshelf for, like I said, years. And then, of course, when I actually get involved here on Trek FM, I'm like, oh, I'm actually talking to Larry, the guy who wrote this. It's pretty cool. My little, you yeah. know, it's kind of, you know, so that's, yeah. that's been kind of a cool thing to get it, be able to interact with him on the different shows. Um, and then on Twitter and everything else. And so, like, he secretly doesn't know every time he replies to me on Twitter, I let out, let out a little fan squeal on the other end. I play it cool, though. I play it cool, guy. <laughs> Um, no, I'm, I'm the same exact way, but I don't play it cool. By little fan squeal, you mean that sound Chekhov made. In the <laughs> uh, but, but I mean, you know, when I'm writing, like, say, when I'm writing articles here for Trek FM, um, and I, I will use a lot of memory alpha um, for a lot of this stuff, because it is helpful to use the wiki setup, because I'm like, all right, I need to know everything about, you know, data or Geordi or or whatever, and so it, it helps to have that, oh, click on that, leads me to that, leads me to that, and that, so, so in the, in the internet age, memory alpha does have its uses, but, but when it comes to books and the companion, I mean, I think these are as helpful too, because I'll generally know, okay, the episode, I can just flip to it, I don't have to do all this other stuff, um, and then again, like, there's the difference references in the back, which I know this sounds silly, but it's very true, you know, indexes have their uses, and even in the 21st century, and, 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 because they, they also have it by writer, and by everything else, and, and by season, and also, this is there's not that many Star Trek books, like like you know publications. Um, and so every time I go to like Barnes Noble, you know, I'll see like the 50 million Star Wars publications, and I'll see like the the ha- the, the third of a bookshelf for the big Star Trek books. Um, but but it's it, but this is a quality publication, and I definitely think it's good to to support those because if we don't, then we won't get any. It's definitely true. Yeah. yeah. What what about you, Max? Uh, I like I actually like like these companions quite a bit, but I'm also infuriated that I can't get what I really, really, really want, which is essentially just like a real time journal of the entire process. Yeah, like I would really like to see like the version of the companion that was unedited and had no synopses, had nothing to do, no no relevant data, nothing indexable. Just like moment to moment journaling of the experience of this being present for this. That's almost what we're getting with these are the voyages when you think about it. Right, but it's but still it's too well it's too well researched. Mm-hmm. Everything is like 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 composed after the fact. I don't want that. I want to feel like I'm there. You want, yeah. I want like the detective novel version of I was there when they made this show. They just need to put a webcam up in the writer's room and but then it's just gonna get naked. I mean, like, I mean, like, it has to be like you know, like, like, like involved. It has to be part of the process. You basically want like the leather dust journal, which you open up, is full of Mad Men's writings on pen, and that you just open up. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, aren't we all looking for that all the time? <laughs> Anytime we buy a book, isn't that what we're kind of looking for to like be taken to some place that we can't get otherwise? Larry is yeah. a madman in a starship. <laughs> yeah but yeah I, I i mean i agree with you guys that that it, this this book is obviously um amazing and had a, a a huge part to play in my fandom and and my uh my love of movies so yeah this it's, is it's, larry nemanchuk's huge part it's the bomb it sounds yes. like it was your companion it was it was it was like my version of a companion, <laughs> like the thing, yeah, yeah. 
That's good. That's good. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that's pretty much it for the companion. Philip, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, where can people find you on the internet? Well, people and Larry um, can find me on Twitter. Uh, my handle there is NC Public Servant and NC like North Carolina. Cool. And or NCC. And Earl Grey comes um, out every Tuesday. Yeah, if people you know want some digital talk about the next generation when they're not busy reading about it, um, they can listen to uh, Earl Grey here on uh, Trek FM. I'm along with Daniel Prue and Darren Moser, and we talk TNG every week. Someday, someone will make an Earl Grey companion with uh, synopses of each episode and behind-the-scenes info on the creation. Well, of the and series. that will be called "We Like the D." Flashy. Um, yeah, well, we are. We we really want some fan to come up with because every episode we assign ship positions every time. We'd love someone to cross index that so we can look up by episode because we don't even remember what we've done at this point. One day, one day. Yes. Well, thanks again for joining us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we will talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks for having me. Well, that was fun talking to Philip about uh, Next Generation. However, before we move on to wrapping this all up, there's one more thing which I, I think we should cover. Um, looking at, at the clock, as of right now, one hour and 59 minutes ago, Variety broke the story that Roberto Orsi is, in fact, confirmed to be directing Star Trek Thirteen. So I just figured since he is, you know, the new, um, essentially, creator, runner, thing, guy, the new driving force behind the Star Trek franchise, uh, we should make note of that and uh, maybe talk about uh, what our thoughts are because there are a lot of opinions out there and they're all rather violent. It's kind of scary. Um, but... About Roberto Orsi. Yeah. What, what do you, how do you feel about uh, Star Trek Thirteen, the 50th anniversary adventure of the franchise being handed to a first-time filmmaker, someone who hasn't even directed an episode of television, but who has written um, the last two Star Trek adventures and is co-writing this one as well? Not much. Mm -hmm. I'm not really expecting all that much, though. Okay. I'm very disappointed with the way that the movies have been. Yeah. And um, and it's not just Star Trek. It's a lot of things. Mm -hmm. I think that we're in a very stupid time for most movies. Okay. So I don't find it particularly shocking that they're making what I consider to be a rather weird and possibly bad decision. But I don't see it being worse. Yeah, I mean, to me... There's, there's a lot of people out there who are like, oh man, I hated the last two Star Trek movies. Roberto Orsi is the problem with those movies. Roberto Orsi is going to be the death of Star Trek. And to me, I think that's a little weird. There are so many people involved in even just the writing of those movies that to be able to pinpoint it to even one guy specifically is crazy. And as far as him being a first-time filmmaker, uh, I mean, 
okay, I don't really see that as being a problem either. I mean, if you're going to give it to a first-time filmmaker, you might as well give it to the guy who's writing it, right? I mean, it seems like he'd be the most um, most familiar with the material, the most uh, comfortable with telling the story since he's the guy who wrote it. I don't know. I, I don't see that as being an issue. I, look, blaming one person is exactly what you do. Well, and yeah, the whole and, and system the is designed yeah. around that entire concept that one right. person is supposed to hold the blame. And, and the whole system is designed so that the person who holds the blame is the director. Yes. Which is why if you want to blame someone, you have to blame J.J. Abrams, even if all he did was facilitate somebody else's poor decisions. Right. And, and you know, th- that does not seem to be the case here. I mean, there's there's... Uh, I don't know, there's a lot of stuff going on. But, I mean, all of this, and, and here I am, you know, sort of like trying to to, to figure out what, it, you know, who's to blame or who's not to blame and how all this stuff, when in reality, I don't think there's anyone to blame because I think that these movies are really freaking good. That's incorrect. They are not really freaking good. The answer is this, the audience or is to blame. Oh, People I, who I kinda, see the movies. I kind of figured you were going to say that. Who approve of them. Yeah, and and so 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 I guess I'm part of the problem, but yes. I'm happy to be part of a problem which is producing movies as good as Star Trek 09 and Into Darkness. Right. Barely watchable, somewhat entertaining movies. Obviously, we have differing opinions on this subject. Mm. We're kind of uh, like a I, proxy for Twitter right now. I don't really have an opinion on it. <clears throat> okay. I just recognize that they're bad. Okay. Well, I, I do, only have feelings about the issue. I do have an opinion on it as well as recognizing that they're good. So this conversation is obviously going nowhere. But I will say that I am excited about the prospect of Orsi directing these movies, more so than uh, some of the other candidates that that have been mentioned in the past. And I think one of the reasons for that is because um, it is something new. I, I like the idea that there is a new team running Star Trek. It's a f- first time writers, first time director, and there's something about that which is exciting. There's something about that which suggests progress in kind of the literal sense of the word, you know. We are progressing into a new generation and people who are, you know, our age almost are getting a crack at Star Trek. And whether or not Orsi is going to be good or bad at directing, I like the idea that there is a new voice in the director's chair and there is a new voice in in the writer's room and uh, that's exciting to me. So that's that. I, I would be more excited if it was somebody who had a really interesting history and a really original take on things. I, mean, I maybe, find the idea that they're getting the writer... That doesn't really seem like a new voice. Well, I guess I guess the, the idea of, a, new, of like, a, new, a new visual voice or whatever, I don't know. I, I mean, but here's the other thing about it is, like, in, I think in a lot of ways, this has been more Orsi's universe than it has been Abrams's, you know? Orsi's the one who is the huge Star Trek fan going into it. Sure. Or- Orsi is the one who has uh, supervised the creation of, of the comic books and everything. Yeah. And and Orsi's the only one but left standing, really. There's also the big Paramount influence. Well, okay, fine. You know, I like the idea of, you know, a writer getting to control his, his script. It's cool. I think it's fairly good usually when that happens 
I have not been won over by these things, and mm-hmm. I would be won over if they did something that made no sense to me. It's the weird. problem is I see all of these decisions being making very solid business sense. Well, People like the last ones. He wrote the last ones. He can do the next one. Him, People will still like them. Him writing it, that, that, that I, I can understand. Him writing it, him directing it, I, I think that that's actually a risky move financially. But I do think that you know there are a lot of people out there who are talking about how much they hate Orsi's work and – that's just not me. I I mean, when you look back at at the stuff that he's done, I don't think that. Well, there there are it, okay. Legends of Zorro was horrible. I will say that. But uh, by and large, if you look at his his filmography, like I have liked the overwhelming majority of stuff that he's done, and there are numerous movies which he has written which I have flat out loved. How much he has to do with that, I don't know. But seeing as how he was the writer. I would think a lot, you know? Sure. So, so I find a lot of that really weird. Okay. Take take it as you will. Um, but that's my take on it. I mean, hey, Roberto Orsi, as far as I'm concerned, has an incredibly good track record, creatively speaking, and I am more than happy to see the franchise in his hands, if for no other reason than to see what he does with it. Yeah, I, my only problem is that all of his, his track record is sort of, um, you know, expected. I, I, they're, they're not radically weird things. He's not bringing something totally bizarre to the table, like who he actually is. If he brought that to the table, I might be more interested. Mm-hmm. Which, is, which is cool because, you know, there are a lot of people who are protesting this, I think, basically just because they don't like who he is. Yeah. And, and that, I think, is kind of weird, too. But to me, I mean, that's like the entire problem is it's, it's totally inverted. Like, the interesting thing about him is not what he's doing, and they're hiring thing for the thing that's not that but, interesting. But, but here's, here's the other thing. And, you know, I read this article about um, the Kurtzman-Orsi breakup, as people are calling it, although I don't think that that's really an accurate description of what happened. But um, the They're thing, on a break. Yeah, they're on a break. You know, they're taking time for themselves. That was a joke. <laughs> It was a conscious uncoupling, as, okay. as they say. Um, no, but they separated uh, the saucer section. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, he's the saucer. Uh, Kurtzman's the the. Really? I don't know. Anyway, regardless, um, but he's not going to crash into into the planet. He's not going to crash. Well, we'll see. <laughs> but 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 the thing about it is the other thing that people have said is like. Kurtzman and Orsi together have always written for a very strong personality. You know, if you look at, you know, his work with J.J. Abrams or Michael Bay or really anyone else, it's always been sort of like he is a writer, but he's writing for someone else who is considered to be in many ways a quote-unquote auteur. You know, now finally what we're getting to see with both of these guys is they are writing for themselves and Maybe a lot of those weird ideas that he brings to the table from a personal standpoint will shine through and we'll get something which is really cool. You know, I think it was Devin Faraci on Badass Digest who was talking about this, and, and that's that's interesting. I think that is bizarrely <clears throat> optimistic, and I think well, that you to need, be to, fair, you I need think to exclude that, the entire studio system from the equation in order for know, that hypothesis to make sense. You know, I think the guy who wrote the article is not at all convinced that that's going to happen, <laughs> but he said, hey, at least it might. You never know. You need to exclude the entire studio system in order for that to even remotely work. Maybe, but I think it could be interesting, and um, I'm very, very excited to see what happens. 
Okay. So I am, I am, I am not particularly excited. Def- definitely a split <laughs> or decision. Or even all that here. curious. De- definitely a split decision here, but uh, yeah. Um, I guess we represent all of fandom on the whole right no. here in this room. No. No. Okay. Well, it's been fun talking about the Star Trek The Next Generation Companion and Roberto Orsi, but that's not all we're talking about here on Trek.fm this week. So, uh, Take a listen to what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. DC Fontana. The jeans and everybody saw what she could do, and they allowed her to transcend the role of secretary, much much as Peggy in Mad Men. Earl Grey. Saucer Separation. And usually it's, it's said very dramatically, the star drive section only? <laughs> what? Like they left half the ship? Where is it? Uh, the other half will come on Tuesday. Could it be in a pocket dimension? I don't even know. You left space dock without a saucer? The ready room. Hold on. Jerry Taylor wrote the book on Janeway. Literally, she wrote the book on Janeway and she reinforced that ideal and that history and even made mosaic canon because she could. The orb. Imagining an Abrams vs. DS9. I feel like that would be the arc of the first season, would be, what are the wormhole aliens? Are they aliens? Are they gods? You know, are they, they smoke powers? monsters? Are they smoke monsters? Is that them around the corner there? Why is there a polar bear on the station? <laughs> to the journey! Top 5 Voyager action sequences. Of course, I want you to do your Kate Mulgrew impression of her last words in the episode. <laughs> Time's up. That has to be your best one yet. Oh, thank you. Warp 5. Romulans on Enterprise. I think even in Kirshara, the the Romulans might be thinking, like, we need to infiltrate the Vulcans. We need to bring them back to our side so we can nip this in the bide and make sure that this growing alliance doesn't happen. Commentary, Trek stars. Nemetric Part 1, Trek. This is actually the one episode where I enjoy Neelix when he's being annoying. But then also, he gets a little something-something with the Klingon ladies. <laughs> Melodic tricks. Because it is literally these two seeks playing hide-and-seek in the nebula, but all the way through the music is, is, is there. It's, it's keeping you rooted to the, what's going on, and it's just a major and integral part of what is going on on the screen. Literary tricks. Bones chooses about being either a healer or a Starfleet officer. And he chooses in this situation to be a Starfleet officer. And it kind of... not easily. No, 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 no. Easily no. Oh, no, no, not at all. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows to get in on the Daily Trek Talk. We have new shows for you every day, and you'll find them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zune, or you can stream and download files directly from the website. But, uh, yeah, you could go to iTunes.com uh, slash TrekFM, and you can find all the shows there. And you can even download a TrekFM complete set complete podcast which is a feed which has all of the trek fm shows so you don't even need to subscribe individually you can just listen to all of them just just a constant stream of trek so that's cool right pouring down your ears pouring down into your, your ears brain. into your brain like those little bugs from city alpha 5 there you go now in star trek the next generation companion 
there's obviously a lot of background info on all, on all, all the episodes, but one of the episodes which has a ton of background info in it is uh, Relics. Yesterday's it? Oh, yeah, not that one. Relics. Oh, yeah. Which probably, is yeah. is the, the episode, of course, that featured Scotty in it as portrayed by James Dewan. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, this, this was a pretty big deal at the time, and uh, they did an, uh, a novelization of it back in the day. And you can uh, get the audio version of this novelization for free on audible.com since you listen to our show. So uh, here's the description on Audible. The USS Enterprise discovers the wreckage of a starship upon the monstrous surface of a Dyson sphere, an artificially constructed habitat built around a star and preserved in a weak transporter pattern by Starfleet engineering legend Montgomery Scotty Scott. Mr. Scott boards the Enterprise to find himself lost in a world that he barely recognizes, a world that has passed him by. This novelization was by Michael Jan Friedman, who wrote a lot of uh, comic books that I read back in the day. And it's narrated by James Doohan and LeVar Burton. So you can you know, hear their chemistry. or their it, It's more like you and me, I think, than... than uh, well, maybe that is chemistry, but there is sort of a... Uh, a, a, a battle back and forth between the the old engineer and the new. And, uh, you know, that's something that you can hear right right here on audible.com for yes. free. Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have the time for. Audible is the premier source of audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from. And new titles coming every week from classics to current bestsellers. Audible has something for everyone. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. So give it a try today. Catch up on all those classic books you've yet to read or the latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we thank you and Audible for supporting commentary, Trek Stars, and trek.fm. As always, you can find us right here on trek.fm where we do this show. And you can also find me on trek.fm doing Standard Orbit with Drew. And you can find both of us on commentarytrackstars.com where we do commentary track stars off topic with our friend Brandon. And you can find us on Twitter at comtrackstars or email us at comtrackstars at gmail.com. And that's it for the star trek the next generation companion we've got one more book in our larry nemechek series and we'll be covering that next week stellar cartography so if you haven't checked out that book yet be sure to uh, take a look at it is very very cool and we will be talking about it next week right here on trek.fm